The COVID-19 public health emergency continues. What is the way forward? Will America and the rest of the world see an end to this? We'll explore this on this episode of That's It, That's All. You are listening to That's It, That's All with Sean Gamatato. As of the recording of this podcast, the world has seen over 86.8 million cases of the coronavirus. 48 million have recovered from COVID-19, and SARS-CoV-2 has claimed 1.88 million lives. Rolling into 2021, the focus has shifted from a response to this dangerous virus to a long road to recovery to include distribution of vaccines all over the world. It's been a year since the first reported case of coronavirus hit the newswires from what is believed to have originated in a wet market in Wuhan, China. I was in the Philippines in February of last year. The first reported case in that Southeast Asian country started just before Valentine's Day in Cebu, in central Visayas. Within weeks, COVID-19 had hit Metro Manila hard, resulting in a complete shutdown of the capital and country and general community quarantine of 13 million people. So far, the PI has seen just about 480,000 coronavirus infections and 9,300 deaths. Nearby Tokyo has seen record infections recently, a jump of nearly 40% since the pandemic began. South Korea, who had enjoyed relatively small numbers at this time last year, is now seeing outbreaks in nursing homes and prisons, which has impacted the view of the government in a negative way. No secret that the COVID pandemic impacted perception of U.S. government leaders and leaders in every major country in the world. Health officials in Europe, especially those in France, England and Italy continued to struggle to control the outbreak and seeing second and third surges. In Micronesia, Guam has the most cases, 7,378 with 123 deaths. The CNMI has recorded 124 cases and just two deaths. In October, the Marshall Islands reported its first two cases of COVID, and our neighbors in the Federated States of Micronesia and the Republic of Palau are part of nine countries in the world not affected by the coronavirus. In October, there was a report that noted that there are six other human coronaviruses similar to SARS-CoV-2 and noted the comparisons made between previous pandemics. We don't have to look too far back at the 2002 SARS outbreak in Asia and the 2012 MERS pandemic in the Middle East. The report compared those two outbreaks and the current COVID-19 pandemic to the 14th century bubonic plague. For the record, I am not a health professional but I have advised governments in Micronesia on a host of issues, including public health policy, and would agree that it can be difficult to make direct comparisons between pandemics as they all develop within specific circumstances that range from the differing nature of the disease itself to the variable social and political context in which the pandemic develops. My great-grandfather died in the early 1920s from the Spanish flu, that resulted after World War I, with soldiers traveling and spreading the virus all around the world. 5% of the Guam population died from the index case when the wife of an American serviceman disembarked from a transport ship into Apra Harbor despite a quarantine order. What my great-grandfather didn't have then were the medical advances of today, which has seen a vaccine in record time in America with Operation Warp Speed and other countries around the world yielding even greater results. Many now are concerned that the virus is mutating. The variant of the coronavirus is now being seen 
worldwide, with an index case believed to have originated in Great Britain. The virus is not letting up, and the world is now relegated to having the fight off this invisible killer in a way that my generation and my kids will have to fight now and into the foreseeable future. My parents and grandparents, their generation, battled the Spanish flu and polio. Comparing those two epidemics, Post-Polio Health International in a newsletter correctly noted recently that SARS-CoV-2 is a novel virus that had yet to be identified and the polio virus is an exclusively human disease that had infected humans for thousands of years going back to ancient Egypt. The battle against the coronavirus is just underway and we can expect to keep fighting this for a long time to come. Public health messaging does seem to be making a dent at home and abroad, wearing a mask, wash your hands, keep a distance of six feet from you and another person, but the messaging is making but a little dent in the behavior of citizens all over the world. There are reports of so much crazy in homes and public places for those three important things. And what we can see is that we have to help one another get through this pandemic. But to what cost? Suicides are up. Domestic violence is up. Other problems are popping up. We are such a long way from the start of the pandemic, and my voice is just one in a chorus of others that are seeing this COVID-19 pandemic in a different way. We have to reassess this issue, a very, very complex one. We also need to see how the world response has been, especially in our own neighborhoods and villages, to really get a handle on how we can expect to get through this very extraordinary time. Finally, what is the way forward? My two cents will be offered up, if it even matters. With headlines like 25 days that change the world, coronavirus, cases of new variant appear worldwide, and how COVID vaccines are being divvied up around the world, I hope that my offering is at the very least an objective one. Time to take a break. The podcast returns in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Get LLC a consulting and specialty construction materials and supplies firm. Since 2012, they have provided valuable services to their customers across Micronesia and North America. Check them out on the World Wide Web at get-guam.com. They have a presence on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Get LLC. Find out today how they can best serve your business's specific needs. I just wanted to start this segment with a reference from a book published in 2012 by Rafe Sagrin. It's called Learning from the Octopus. Sagrin wrote that learning is at the core of all security situations and responses, and that every security situation arises because of some past failure to learn by one of the parties involved. And nearly every security situation requires learning to respond to the situation and to prevent it from happening again. Well, you know, I was uh, reading with a lot of interest, uh, getting ready for this podcast, a lot of the different articles that are out there relative to, to not only the coronavirus, but to other, well, recent pandemics. You know, I didn't have to go far again, going back to the the whole uh, SARS uh, issue and the MERS outbreak, uh, both back in 20, 2002 and 2012, uh, respectively. Uh, I was going back and you know, uh, there's a lot of things that were talked about back in March, and and even maybe uh, I might have thought it out loud too, but uh, many back then in March, they said and assumed that COVID-19 will be kind of like that SARS uh, pandemic that we had about 18 years ago. Uh, some thought that it would be just a bug, 
uh, affecting uh, affecting relatively few people, uh, and aside from a few cities or regions, not going to really disrupt daily life. Well, you know, uh, some of the Asia response has been well. You know, they've been kind of seeing this again since the start of the year, and and I remember when I was in Manila at the time. Uh, the news was coming out and lawmakers were coming out saying, hey, we need to be concerned about this. Now, they, when you think about it being in Cebu in early, early February, so it started around, yeah, late uh, in around the mid-January, early February, even the Philippines uh, was having a hard time trying to understand what was happening. Uh, the word was going around, uh, really going around that, oh, well, heck, um, you know this. You know this, this is happening. Uh, America had just uh, started. To, we started hearing kind of bits and pieces. But in the Philippines, by the time we left, right after Valentine's Day or so, right after that, and got back into Guam, and then you started hearing that the cases were exploding. When when I was just going back to that whole uh, the Sagrin book, right? It when we think about uh, that book, really talks about complexity. And how we think of, of, of our response to different types of emergencies um, today, we have to approach uh, it uh, on, on the idea of uh, now, I guess, call it either pandemics or natural disasters or emergencies in general, um, that they're all going to be way more complex than what we are used to. You know, living in the in the islands, at least for myself and my family, we're used to typhoons. We're used to these tropical storms, um, you know. I think the the National Weather Service at one point said that we get uh, three na- name storms a, a year, uh, two tropical storms at least, uh, and a typhoon or so. Um, historically, and we have seen it over the last uh, you know 100 years. So when we think about those issues, those seems to be relatively easy. Storm comes, storm goes. But pen- this pandemic has is really when we start early on started to think like, can we treat it the same way? And and quite frankly, the answer is yes, you could. But there's so many moving parts that I think many are, are concerned that, um, you know, that the, the, the actual uh, how do you administer vaccines and how do you get testing? How do you get out N95 masks? How do you get masks? How do you get people to wear them? How, all those things. Very, very, very complex. You know, um, as we watched it, um, you know, the whole coronavirus, as we've seen it evolve becoming more infectious and more deadly. Well, why is that? Why, why have we watched it, uh, you know, thus far? And many uh, observers early on, especially doctors, uh, I was shocked early on when they were saying, well, wash your hands. And it was one of the very first things that, that caught my eye. Like, do we in fact really wash our hands that much? But it, it, it did speak to hygiene and and how, you know, in some countries, and this is not America, we're talking Asian countries, countries all around the world, sometimes they don't have the access to, to clean water to do that. So it, it, it seemed like, you know, why are they telling us to wash our hands? But it, it has seemed to be, and we're doing it all the time now, uh, but, you know, you're cognizant now and making sure that you do it. Uh, wearing masks in Asia, they've been wearing masks for, for years and um, in my travels uh, to Taiwan and to to to, to 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 Thailand and other places in the region, many reasons why people wear masks. Well, quite frankly, their pollution is pretty bad. Uh, obviously, in these third world countries where there's no real emission standards, the cars are you know burning different fuels from diesel to just regular unleaded fuels. They're they're uh, they're just burning it and going. And so the masks have been 
primarily um, to just kind of battle what would, would be just this the smog of sorts. But now, to, and, uh, man, I've traveled on all the different subways from Japan to to, uh, to Thailand and into uh, Hong Kong. And, and the, this thing about the transportation for a minute, getting around, uh, they, they most of it was, and most people need to use it to get around, but, man, they're shut down. I mean, and for their economies, uh, it was a huge blow. Um, and, and to this day, the economies of the Asian region is barely getting back underway. And so when we think of Asia's response, well, uh, you know, these countries, uh, they spend a lot of time and money um, to, to make sure that they're, that these public health uh, types of issues don't pop because obviously they had to deal with bird flu, the, you know, the whole avian flu back in the early 2000s. They had to deal with the SARS epidemic. So they have a lot more experience than, say, uh, the U.S. Uh, machine or the U.S. citizenry. Because in the U.S., they, it just, it's been a long time. We have had, and we continue, thanks to our friends at the CDC, continue to be pushing out messages like, hey, get your flu shots, and this is going to be the worst flu ever. So for years, you know, people worried about the flu, just the common influenza. But who would have thought that the, um, you know, this whole COVID-19 or the coronavirus now has got people really, really concerned, and, and it, it, you, know, you would think it would change behavior, um, but really, that hasn't been the case so far. Um, the World Health Organization, they've been kind of coming to the, the whole aid of, of, uh, of, the, of the world in this time. And many believe that they just haven't been so, crit- um, so credible. We know that the American government has said, hey, don't believe them or to, to take, take what they say with a grain of salt because they're in bed with China. Well, China is, uh, and the World Health Organization is telling China, guys, give out more information. Uh, the world needs it. They thought, oh, well, maybe that they would acquiesce. Obviously, China's uh, political structure uh, obviously is not going to allow for that. Um, but, you know, when we look at where the first index case came, it, you know, it seems so surreal. It comes from, you know, like I, I thought about a couple of different movies and, and the way that they depicted how outbreaks go. But when we think of it in real life, uh, you know, and, and where... The whole start of it happened. It uh, it asks or gives a couple questions of whether or not has our response to it been slow. Well, if the issues have become so complex, you know we have had to learn, and over time and now ten months, that's all we've been trying to do is learn. Um, I've never heard more doctors uh, getting on the radio and television and network TV talking about, uh, especially when they had the trials and looking at the research from the uh, this whole uh, vaccine, and everyone has been reading up on it. So everyone, in at least American doctors, uh, both on the U.S. mainland and out here in the Western Pacific, are all taking a hard look at that, which is good. But when I think of the response, you know, uh, you know people will kind of point to this notion of blame. And they want to blame the people are always kind of a funny, funny beast. They want to say, "Okay, I want to blame somebody. I want to blame uh, my mom for not, uh, for not telling me that uh, there was an outbreak out there, or I want to blame my dad for for not telling me to, you know, if, if I didn't wear my mask, I wouldn't have gotten infected." Uh, but learning is kind of relegated to to, to blame at times. I, 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 it's a it's a weird notion that we would. We, we, you know, this even over this pandemic that we're still learning 
And we're having to go back to some basic things that we, as, uh, you know, going back to our, our youth to, to use these tools. And we think of it in the whole scheme of the worldwide pandemic. We think of learning. It really is the core of all of this. And we have to, to learn from these things, to learn and see, uh, you know, are these mistakes that we're making? Well, if we make one and there's errors, there could be consequences that we're probably going to regret for a very long time. But we have to look at it uh, from that standpoint that the pandemic has been very complex and uh, learning is uh, going to help and it's really going to drive recovery uh, moving forward. We're going to take a break. We'll have more from the That's It, That's All podcast in just a moment. This is the That's It, That's All podcast. So what is the way forward uh, with the pandemic? Uh, You know, the pandemic really has harmed the poor uh, and pushing many, many into poverty. And I like to use an example closer to home. There was some reports that in Guam especially, uh, there's about 35,000 people who are out of work. Obviously, our, we have a uh, service industry that's related to our tourism economy. We have <clears throat> we have a lot of tourists who come here on an annual basis, and we enjoy uh, our, all of our visitors from across the region. Uh, but they've been out of work, um, and quite honestly, it's been a uh, sad to see uh, our main tourist district in Tumon look like a ghost town. But not just Tumon, but other locations where we would have normally seen plenty of tourists. Uh, last month, the World Bank, uh, or the World Bank, they uh, created what many are calling a new class of impoverished. They're calling them the new poor, and this is a huge, huge development relative to um, thinking of poverty. It's a generational loss here in terms of how many people have lost work uh, in. Uh, in and actually all over uh, Asia for sure and around the world because of the pandemic people can't work they can't do certain things uh, obviously getting around is really cost uh, a lot of lives and uh, down the road I think they're going to be studying this new poor uh, for a long time to come we think about the amount of loss South Asia Africa adversely impacted by uh, by this uh, by the coronavirus, especially when we think about how you know if they can't if they don't have access to healthcare, they don't have access to masks or even running water. I mean, the global crisis is going to create what even economists are calling a very deep recession over the next year, two, maybe three years. You know, it's interesting. Uh, debt service. We think of uh, businesses and 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 the like. Just, just regular families. It's going to be needed everywhere, you know. And and how do how are they going to service all this if there's no work or if there's an inability to go to work? Also, remittances are all are down all over the world. You know, you know when we think about the, this with our friends in the Philippines, I mean that's that's one of their their big engines of their economy. When they're working, they're sending money back to their country. It's one of you know, uh, some reports have said that that's the, the number one export of the Philippines is uh, is labor. But when there's no work, there's no sending. You know, also healthcare costs are getting higher and higher. It probably has gotten higher to a point where, uh, you know, uh, we're sitting there looking at our premiums going like, especially in America, going like, okay, I paid for this, but I haven't left my house. But because of COVID, 
and the amounts of effort needed to take care of COVID, it's going to get even more challenging for healthcare facilities uh, and the like. You know, uh, we already know that schools are closed. And schools are closed just not just here and with the hope of reopening sometime mid-month, but they're, they're closed all over the world. In some cases, uh, when they're, they're trying to reopen because they're saying like, hey, listen, it's these, these young people, they're not the, uh, the cause of the, of the virus. They're way less likely to get it. And also they're going to recover. It's those teachers, those, those aides, administrators who are out and about they're just just trying to do things with life, and then they're bringing it to the school, um, causing a whole bunch of other public health concerns. You know, when uh, we think about this, and and a lot of people would want to draw the contrast uh, to, or comparisons even to world wars and the like. I mean, obviously the the last pandemic happened in, in America uh, during World War One, but it goes back to this idea of learning: is is where what are we in fact learning? Are we learning? to adjust and how fast can we do this you know uh we, we, we're watching all the time on the news if it's if it's uh, news in new york or california two of the most populous states in the union are pretty much on lockdown because well one they, it seems like maybe they're not learning fast enough uh, in terms of of how to deal with the pandemic everybody has fatigue but they just go out no masks uh protest is the big one and been driving me batty seeing no masks. But oh my goodness, when we think of this, is there any learning really going on? Is it in fact happening uh, because of the pandemic? Okay, well, more. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll, we'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Get LLC, a consulting and specialty construction materials and supplies firm. Since 2012, they have provided valuable services to their customers across Micronesia and North America. Check them out on the World Wide Web at get-guam.com. They have a presence on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Get LLC. Find out today how they can best serve your business's specific needs. You know, the International Monetary Fund reported about a month ago that with the potential to avoid large losses in the gross domestic product of countries all over the world and the low and declining costs of the uh, test kits relative to COVID-19 um, and the returns that are happening from widespread testing and uh, combined with mask wearing, believe it or not, it's, it's really good. They're even saying that the approach could help reduce some of the inequities that are made worse by the pandemic. We talked about the poor earlier, but helping the poor and the most vulnerable households Wearing, uh, you know, whether this crisis is going to be key because many of them are not going to leave and there's been a lot of deaths even here at home because they're waiting to the very last minute, uh, some happening at home and not knowing they had it because they just can't afford the health care. You know, The Guardian reported on December 29th, 2020, that the World Health Organization experts have warned that even though the coronavirus pandemic has been very severe, it is not necessarily the big one and that the world will have to learn to live with COVID-19. And even the report, a report that was quoted by a World Health Organization, or that same report, there was an advisory group in that report that was quoted saying that the destiny of the virus is to become endemic. Even as the vaccines begin to be rolled out in the U.S. and U.K., that the world has hoped for herd immunity, that somehow transmission will be decreased if enough persons were immune. So what are we learning here? When we're talking about this, are we, are we saying we're going to go out? Are we saying we're going to get vaccine, uh, the vaccine if, if it's given to us? You know, uh, I was very encouraged when I saw the picture of Dr. Sylvia Osark from uh, 
Palau getting that first Moderna, uh, I guess, vaccine. It was a Twitter image. And, you know, they're trying to vaccine their elderly and their small population. And remember, they don't even have cases there. But they're trying to set examples, you know. And that's what we have to do right now is be examples. We need to learn. We need to take the, the information that is given to us and adjust, obviously. But it's about learning. It's about taking what, what is a very complex issue of, of a pandemic. And we were all doing this in our lives. Many are online shopping. Many are not uh, using their money uh, frivolously on things that we probably didn't need before. Many are staying home. We're getting more re- reacquainted with our families via Zoom that might be near and far. But what we have to do is we have to learn. We have to be able to take all of these experiences and and frank, quite frankly, we got to help it to our advantage, use it for our advantage. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot to be looking forward to over the next year, but we're not going to be paralyzed because we just don't want to learn. Take all the information that's given from podcasts, from, from the news, from doctors, you name it. Take it all together. Learn. And again, remember, it's important for us together if we, you know, to, to kind of uh, to talk it out, figure it out, and then act it out. But action is going to be speaking much more louder than words if we ever are going to knock down this global pandemic that is SARS-CoV-2, the coronavirus. That's it. That's all. Don't forget to subscribe and follow this podcast. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. The That's It, That's All podcast is produced by Sean Gamatato. Executive producer is Trisha Gamatato. Hit the subscribe or follow button and leave a review. Thanks for listening.